Hello, welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe, that's Julie. Time to catch up again on what's been on our reading list, what's our new reading list, what should be on our reading list, what we think about all of it. This last week has been spring break for us, which has drastically sped up my reading. I don't know that it's really done anything for you, but it's definitely increased the number of books that I've read. No, I don't get any spring break. I, we, <laughs> I had a day off, and my day off is spent driving and doing things, but uh, I don't know. Thank God for the ebook, if not for, or the, the audio book, rather, if not for being able to listen while I drive, I'd, I'd probably hit. Uh, I don't know, 50, 60% of what I do, but... I'm kind of jealous that, I mean, I can't listen to an audiobook, but just, it works really well for you. That's it, what works for you. I'm doing more of the, uh, the e-reader now, but uh, that's still going to be, come the end of the year, maybe I'll have done eight or ten books that way, uh, but I'll probably do 20 or 30 uh, on audio, and then, you know, whatever I get uh, in, in actual books, if it's a good year, 60 or 70, but we'll, we'll see. All right. Over these last two weeks, I finished Eat a Peach by David Chang, which it's kind of a food memoir. He's a chef. So he talks a lot about his life in the kitchen, about his progress as a chef, being a child, all the way up to where he started to own all these restaurants in New York and then all across the country and the world. Um, but a lot of it was just about his life, about mental illness, about how to learn to be a person in the world. And the way that he learned to do that was through food. So was there actually a J. Alfred Proofrock reference here? Because I saw the title and that immediately oh my gosh. jumped to mind for me. Did, did he ever bring that up? Or is there like some other reason for the title? <laughs> um, I'm not really sure. I don't remember <laughs> anything about Proofrock. I honestly um, did not stop to think about why he named it this. I think he talked about it maybe at the beginning, but this was a book that I read before Spring Break. Um, so in those just last kind of hectic days of school and, um, yeah, I read it in just pieces. And so it was not my most attentive reading. <laughs> um, and I wouldn't have noticed if it said anything about proof rock or not. So <laughs> we already know that's not my favorite. Fair enough. All right. Um, the next one I read was the Midnight Library by Matt Haig, um, which was wonderful absolutely fantastic. Lots of people had recommended it. Um, and this was a book where, um, the main character feels totally unloved. She, and she feels like she has nobody to love. Her job is dead end. Her brother doesn't speak to her. Her parents are gone. Her cat just died. And she doesn't feel like she has anything to live for. What she finds is that in that kind of space between living and dying for her, there was a library and the library was full of books um, and each book held the possibility of another life that she could have lived had she just made some different choices. And she is, for a short while, allowed to open some of those books and experience those lives. Lots of It's a Wonderful Life vibes from this book. Um, and I worried a little bit at first that it would be kind of cheesy, um, but it was absolutely not. The ending was beautiful. Um, the conclusions that she draws about what make an ordinary life extraordinary um, are pretty much just fabulous. So I recommend this book totally. Well, I'm sorry. I had to take it back to the library very quickly. <laughs> that one, yeah, it was in high demand. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I waited forever for that thing. Well, and then, you know, you had finished, and within a couple of days, yeah. I got my notice that they wanted it back. If, if uh, the way our library works, if somebody doesn't request it, I can keep a book out for, I think it's eight weeks mm -hmm. before it 
pops up as ultimately do. And there are plenty of books that that doesn't happen, but this was not one, so I didn't get to read it, but oh well. <laughs> maybe you can get it another time. Ebook, maybe. That would, or true. audiobook, yeah. sorry. That's better. All right, then I read Beach Read by Emily Henry, which is a reread for me. I got this from Book of the Month, I want to say last summer, um, and I loved it. It's a book about two writers who were college rivals who find themselves next door neighbors, and they dare each other to each write in the other's genre. And then it turns into a romance between the two of them. But it's just a really good book if you like um, writing or you like reading about writing. This is this is a really fun book. I read it as a, um, reread it in anticipation of her next book, which is People We Meet on Vacation, which comes out in May. But if you're a Book of the Month Club member, you could get it way early. I got it this month for my Book of the Month Club selection because of how much I loved Beach Read. Well, it's, it's say a little bit about. I'm sorry to cut you off yeah. in mid-topic, but but talk a little bit about book of the month, and and I know that's been something you've really enjoyed and and have found beneficial. Yeah, you bought me um, a subscription several years ago, and I think you were thinking that I would keep it for like two or three months, and then I'd move on with life. But I've just continued with it. Um, every single month, they come out with five new books, um, all hardbacks in varying genres. And with your subscription, you can pick one book every month, and then you can do add-ons for $10 each. So, and you don't have to pick one. Occasionally, yeah, yeah. there's a month where... Yeah, you but know. hang on. Um, you can add on any of those books that you want to from that current month, or you can choose books from past months, yeah. and they have extra books and all kinds of things. They really, really have great selections. They choose brand new books, like books that were really no more than a month or two old, or books that are coming out that month, or usually they'll have one book or two that are early releases, like this one was. So they just get really current stuff, and yes, absolutely. If you don't like any of the selections that month, then you just skip that month, and then you're not charged for books that you don't buy. And it works out pretty well. I mean, sometimes mm -hmm. there are two where you're like, oh my gosh, I can't decide between them. And then there's an occasional month mm -hmm. where you're like, well, you know, interesting, but none that I'm sure I'll like, so maybe I'll just pass this one. And, and I've done this for long enough now that I'm whatever they're... I don't remember if they call it VIP. I don't remember what they call it. But I get a free book in my birthday month in addition to the one that I buy that month. And then in January, I get to choose one of the top books of the year as voted on by their readers as an extra freebie to go in my January mm -hmm. box. So I, I really, really love it. I'm, book of the Month is awesome. If you are interested in doing it, send us an email. I can get you a discount. Yeah, I didn't mean to, to untrack you. I just knew that was something <laughs> that comes up. And I thought... Well, if, if people are like me, they may not know a lot of the details. You know, I I, I found it out, but uh, worth covering. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I'm glad you said that. But People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry was the one that I got this month. Um, it also is a romance, but her books tend to be, they're not, they're not just about a romance. They're really much more about personal um, introspection and revelation. In this book, um, Poppy and Alex had met in college and they were best friends. Their um, kind of thing that they did was that every single summer in their adult lives, they took a trip together. And since vacations have been um, not a thing for quite some time <laughs> now, I thought it would be really fun to read a book about people who are taking vacations. So this book covers a lot of the vacations that they had taken together, just little snapshots of them. But two years before the book begins, something happened when they were on a trip in Croatia and they hadn't spoken since then. And this book largely deals with how they rekindle that friendship um, and decide where that should go 
in the future. So And then, you read me some really funny moments oh, yeah. in this book. Emily Henry's a really funny writer. She's a really thoughtful writer. Um, the characters always feel very real. The stakes are high for them. Um, but you always just, you feel really safe in her hands that things will work out in the end. Yeah. And I like that. And on the other hand, this next one, I feel like maybe I need to put my <laughs> fingers in my ears and start going la 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 real loud because I'm in the middle of reading it. But but it definitely the spoiler-free version here, if yeah, you would. Yeah. Well, yeah. So this last one is Mother May I by Jocelyn Jackson. Jocelyn Jackson is one of my all-time favorite writers. I have to think we've mentioned her before on this podcast because I just love her so much. Um, this is her latest book that just came out. Um, here in April, and it is a thriller. When I fell in love with her book, she wasn't really writing thrillers. She was just writing more contemporary fiction. Gods in Alabama was her Mm -hmm. first book. That's the first book I read. It's still my favorite. Um, But I love every single thing that she's ever written. Mother May I um, begins with, and this is giving nothing away. (laughs) I think you would read this on the description of it. It begins with Brie catching a witch looking in her window. And shortly after that, her baby is stolen with essentially a ransom note. She has to carry out some tasks in order to hope to get her baby back. And that's the very most basic description. Um, This book, my gosh, it was amazing. And I don't read tons and tons of thrillers. But when I read one, I want it to be like this. It's so fast. I read it in, what, two days? I read the first quarter of it today, so... You just can't put it down. It's interesting. Um, The characters are amazing. The twists, you can anticipate some of them, but you can't anticipate all of them, and you can't figure out exactly how it's all going to happen and pull together. Mm -hmm. When you read enough of Jocelyn Jackson's writing, you know going into her books that um, she's all about justice, and um, she does not make you care about her characters lightly. So there's kind of a contract that I was believing in going into this book, and it did not let me down, and it made the ending just, wow, knock you off your feet. For most of this book, Joe, I was saying to you, oh, my gosh, it's so great, it's so great, it's so great. I think maybe you would like it. But then, what, at like midnight, Saturday <laughs> night, when I finished the book, I shut it, and I said, you no, read you have to read, and you have to read it now. <laughs> But I think you are enjoying it. Again, so. 80, 90 pages in in a day, it's not going to take much. Yeah, I'm, I'm reluctant to, to to dish too much on Jocelyn because we may uh, Obviously we come back to this in two this weeks. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to read it. I'm well underway with it. But Okay, so what have you been reading? Well, my list is much shorter. Uh, again, I continued with... Uh, Dan Gutman and his uh, weird school, <laughs> Mrs. Rupee is Loopy, was this week's installment. She's the librarian who uh, likes to dress up as George Washington and Neil Armstrong. And who else was she? She was somebody from a nursery rhyme one day. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see how long this uh, continues to captivate my nine-year-old. But we're working on Miss Hannah is Bananas right now. So at least four <laughs> books worth. But uh, on it goes. Um a couple others. Uh, one of my favorites that I've read this year in, in a while. Um, I've, I've probably talked at some length about Peter Goralnik, a great music writer. Oh, you mentioned him last week and talked about how you were reading this book and yeah. it was your favorite one by him. Well, I think I'll, I'll say that. Looking to Get Lost was the book. And Goralnik is older. I don't know how old exactly he is. I heard him speak at the Southern Festival Books in Nashville Oh, five-ish years ago, uh, he was there 
for his biography of Sam Phillips, the man who created Sun Records and was the driving force behind Alan Wolf, Elvis, Johnny Cash, Carl Perkins, all those guys. Uh, that's what he was talking about then. Uh, Looking to Get Lost had actually been out. It's been out some months, nearly a year. Um, and in many ways, it's it's kind of a distilling of everything I like about uh, Goralnik. It's kind of a collection of, of essays, some of them pretty short, some of them longer. Uh, one of my favorites was about a 70-page diversion on a guy named Dick Curlis, who I had never heard of in my life. Uh, but I was fascinated. It, it was just a beautiful portrait of somebody who had spent his whole life around country music. Think Buck Owens. That's kind of the, the group we're working from. Uh, that was great. Uh, he had an essay in here on Solomon Burke, which was among the most beautiful things uh, I've read from him. And, and I've read several of his books. He's just... He's a great researcher. He's obviously a great interviewer. But I think what put this book over the top, you kind of got some Wizard of Oz-like peeks behind the curtain. The last two essays, he talks about his family, and he talks about writing. And you get some answers into who he is and why he does what he does and how he does it, uh, and some really thought-provoking stuff. A little bit of everything here. I mean, you're going to get... There's a, a nice piece on Johnny Cash. Um you know, some of it is pretty obvious, unsurprising stuff, and some of it is deep dives into things I'd never heard of or thought about. There was a great interview in here with Eric Clapton, and I'm not a huge Clapton guy, but he interviewed Clapton the way I would want Clapton interviewed. <laughs> He's talking to him about cultural appropriation and about he get, how he got into the blues and, you know, much more interesting than, you know, okay, tell me about Layla or, or something like that. Uh, so... Peter's stuff is always great. Um, his biography of Elvis is possibly the definitive word on Elvis. It's a two-book biography. Uh, his Sam Cooke book is great. But I love him best doing little essays on people because it's kind of the hidden gems where he really shines as a writer. And there were a lot of those here. Great book. You told me that I'm going to read the last two essays, right? Yeah, that's kind of your litmus test because, you know, you said earlier you were talking about liking... Uh, people, you know, writing about writing. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a niche thing. A lot of people don't really do that. Well, writing about music is kind of a niche thing. And, right. and you know, if you're conversant in the genre and the people, it may mean something to you. And if not, you know, I, I think it's Lennon who said writing about music was like tap dancing about architecture. <laughs> um, so you can get there. But uh, the best are special, and I think he's one of them, and really enjoyed looking to get lost. Sounds good. Uh, the other book I read was The Quarterback, or The QB, as it's titled by Bruce Feldman. Uh, interesting idea, kind of goes into all of the focus on quarterbacks in football. I mean, the quarterback is the player on offense who has to handle the ball on every single play. He's responsible for, uh, you know, making sure the team's running the proper play. If it's a pass, as 60 70% of plays are in pro football now, he's got to be the one throwing it. So uh, the quarterback's important, but it's interesting to see kind of the pseudoscience behind how it's evaluated, talked about, thought about, how young people are trained. A lot of this book ended up focusing around one particular quarterback, which was Johnny Manziel, 
who was this guy who had this meteoric rise. He was a nobody, and then he was the Heisman Trophy winner and was Johnny Football, and then he threw it all away as quick as he got it. Uh, and, and that's kind of the interesting thing about this. You, you can blather on about all of these super technical things, and Feldman does that some, but at the end of the day, it's really a human thing, uh, and, and, you know, pro football teams are investing eight-figure sums of money in in young guys who could flake out or could be legends of their sport and heroes in their community, and sometimes the gap between the two is a couple of dumb decisions. Sounds so, interesting, anyway. Well, you know, it's a, a timely topic, one that I think will only be more important in, in pro sports as time goes, and... You know, what with the whole kind of money ball thing, and I'm reading a basketball book I'll talk about at some point. One of the things, if, if you're going to spend massive amounts of money on ball players, is, is maximizing value, being smarter than the other guy, figuring out where you can save a dollar or, or where you can invest that dollar more wisely uh, and cultivate your own recruits or players. So we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, then there was another book I read, which you had read, and you talked about some, but uh, we'll get into it as our shared book, because we've we both read it, we both enjoyed it. Did we talk about this last time, or the time before? Uh, good question. Well, anyway, if you are a regular listener, you'll recognize this. The book that we read together this week was Concrete Rose by Angie Thomas. And Angie, this is book three, I believe, for her? Yes, it is. Angie's a young African-American lady, a phenomenal talent. Uh, she kind of oh, came onto the scene with her first book, The Hate You Give, uh, which was just such a phenomenal book. It surrounded a, a teenage uh, girl named Star uh, who really grows up kind of trying to straddle a lot of different communities. She, she lives... In, in Garden Heights. Yeah, which is a, a predominantly African-American neighborhood. and uh, But she goes to a school which is mostly white. Um, in a whole other neighborhood. Yeah, and, you know, she has all these family ties to people who, you know, maybe maybe their ties are a little closer to the community, maybe their ties are outside the community. You know, it, it's, it's very much a novel about... Where do you belong? Who are you? What? What? Where do you come from? Into what do you become as a person? And this gets complicated for Star when she's in a car with a friend of hers who has an altercation with a police officer that ends up in him getting shot and killed. Um, and the novel deals with the fallout from that, both in her home neighborhood and then in her school community as well. Yeah. In that book, we both of us had talked about, and we mentioned this when I talked about Concrete Rose on this podcast, that um, one of the best characters in the book was Maverick, her father. Um, Concrete Rose is a prequel to The Hate You Give, so mm -hmm. it shows Maverick as a young man, a teenager, um, and kind of like gives us the shaping of his life, leading us into The Hate You Give. It doesn't back all the way up to The Hate You Give, it, it takes this very specific, what, year, maybe two years of his life. Um, not real clear on the chronology. I More really like think a it, year, it focuses it's on that senior narrow. year of high school yeah. for him. It, it is very small um, in, in the frame of time, but it gives you so much insight into Maverick, and I, I just loved him more. Well, we get him in, in The Hate You Give uh, as this kind of, 
you know, grumbly lion of a, of a father figure. And it's strangely endearing to see him at the age that Star is really yes. in, in The Hate You Give. And you've gotten him as this fully formed character. And now you just get him as this young boy who's so vulnerable, who's so suggestive, who can't Fumbling decide. Fumbling for his bearings, yeah. but who desperately wants to get it right. Yes, yes. And that, that really is, is the thing. How do you get it right? You can make a lot of money over here, but you recognize that maybe that's not the way. Maybe that forestalls some things in life that, that you care about and some people in your life that you care about. I mean, there's a love story at the center of Concrete Rose, um, but maybe more interesting, it's really, it's a novel about being a young black man, uh, which, you know... There are not enough novels about that. Right, there really aren't, and... This is why a book like Concrete Rose matters beyond the fact that it's fun, that it's interesting, that it's fresh. Um, but it's important. Um, we like to read for an escape. We like to read for familiar things, for, for places and subjects that are sources of comfort. But we also can't deny the fact that a book can take us somewhere that we otherwise can't go. And... and Sometimes that's long ago and far away, but sometimes that's in a culture that's right here, right now, but that just doesn't happen to be the one that we grew up in. That the real power of literature is in opening our eyes, helping us understand, recognize other people, and empathize with them. And this is the kind of book that I think helps. Uh, you know, you you will re-examine many of the internal, you know, predispositions, prejudices that that you hold as you go through Mavericks transition into manhood. Absolutely. And and I'm always struck. Uh, I, I, I think I have some sort of a contract as an Appalachian that I cannot bring up African-American culture without remarking on the odd similarity with Africa, of African-American culture and Appalachian culture. The way that they have so many things in common that always surprise me and yet you know, they shouldn't surprise me. Um, it's always interesting to me. I, I think about it through the veneer of somebody like a Silas House. If you're not from Appalachia and you pick up a book like The Cold Tattoo, you'll be a little wiser about it for reading it. And I'd like to think that, that Angie Thomas's books kind of function on that same plane. Uh, and, and, you know, that's that's an important thing, but it's an interesting thing, too. It is, absolutely. This, I guess, is technically classified, again, as young adult literature, just like The Hate You Give was. Um, but this is a book for anybody. Well, and I would actually be careful to note, um, in terms of subject matter, I mean, we're, we're pretty frank about sex. We're pretty frank about drug dealing. She uh, is in this book, right. is what you're saying. We, we are not, no. <laughs> we, are, we are frank like, in saying we know nothing about any of this. But <laughs> anyway... Uh, no, but uh, the, the, the F word pops up here and again. Uh, you know, it, it's a young adult book, if but it's not that young. If you give it to your young, young adult to read, no, well, young adult is like high school. Yeah. That, that's the age range for young adult literature. So um, if you did give it to your young adult to read, it would probably be one that you would want to discuss with them, mm -hmm. not only just because, you know, preparing them for some of that content maybe, but also because you can learn as much from it as they can, and it's a book that's worth both of your learning together. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Um, 
just the, there was so much to, to chew on here. Um, such an interesting thing. I, I love the uh, the owner of the little neighborhood store. Who, who gives him the job. Puts him to work uh, at a point when he really needs some sort of upstanding job. Uh, and, and this guy is the conduit. But who quietly kind of really, takes him under his wing. And really opens a door for him to be able to see you have the power to choose your life. And, and you, you feel, we all feel sometimes like we don't have the power, like we're, we're pushed into a direction. We didn't have choices, sure. but we have the choices. And that man just, oh, it gives me goosebumps thinking about some of the conversations that they had. And it reminds me of, you know, I said, you know, you read this book with your young adult. Mm-hmm. Um, the power of those kinds of conversations to change the way that a young man or a young woman looks at the world and the way that they look at themselves. That's exactly what I was going to say. Mr. Wyatt changes the way that Maverick sees himself. And don't, there, don't give any spoilers away. There's a gap between this book and The Hate You yes. Give. There's part of Maverick's story that we still don't get. And Maverick yes, is going to pay give, a big price. When The Hate You Give opens up, you know, we find out a lot of things that are not covered in right, Concrete right. Rose. So we don't know how he goes from A to B necessarily. Except though, in Concrete Rose, the way that this book is set up and the way that you see Maverick through the story, at the end of it, I thought about those things that happened between the two books and I suddenly understood in a different way why Maverick made those choices. Yeah, I've got a pretty good idea of what the connection is between A and B. And you know, when I read it in The Hate You Give, it was a whole other kind of feeling that I had about those. Not not judgmental, but just... I didn't understand it in the same way. Yeah. yeah. So. So one or both, uh, highly recommended. Both. You both. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I guess you should start with The Hate You Give I because so, it's yes. her first book. And I would read them in the order that she wrote them, honestly. The Hate I You Give. I haven't read the second, I have the to The second one is on the come up and it's not, it's not a star in Maverick's story. It's located, <laughs> if I'm remembering right, in the same neighborhood after the hate you give, there are references to the things that happened in the hate you give, um, but it was just as gorgeous, and I I, I sobbed through the ending of it. It was mm-hmm. beautiful, um, and then then go back and get Concrete Rose. None of them um, are very long books. They they really won't take very long to read, and they are massively worth your time. So that's that's the uh, prognosis. Get some more Angie Thomas in your life. Get all the Angie Thomas. Yes, she's wonderful. She really is. Well, thanks for joining in with us again. Feel free to reach out, holler at us, let us know uh, what we're missing, what we uh, should be reading, what you've read and you'd tell us not to read. I don't know, anything. We're uh, we're pretty open-ended on these things. All ears. Paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us. Take care, and until next time, keep reading.